Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Sedecase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. This episode is another very special one. I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Nick Effingham, and we're going to be talking about time and time travel. Um, this is a professional podcast, you know, like we're not going to make jokes about, you know, going effing ham on time travel or anything like that, that maybe someone else can do that. We're, we're above that here. So we're not going to make any jokes about that. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited. Usually we talk about a paper or a book. Um, but Dr. Effingham has so much stuff on this that I just took a, a bunch of concepts from a smattering of his papers and books. Um, so I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about like some ontologies of time, um, different theories, uh, of time travel, like what, what would have to be true if time travel were possible and you could change the past, all that good stuff. So definitely stay tuned if you want to become an expert on time and time travel. Before we jump in, though, I want to thank everyone who's making this podcast happen over on Patreon. If you guys like this podcast, if you've benefited from it, if you learned some stuff, please consider becoming a Patreon patron. You can join for like as little as $3 a month all the way up to, well, there's a bunch of different levels and you get different perks. I think it's all the way up to 100 bucks. Um, but I, I want to do this for a living. So please, um, if you have benefited from it, please consider becoming a Patreon patron. There's a lot of other ways to support the podcast as well. You can find the super thanks down here, super thanks button. Um, you can buy merchandise, all sorts of good stuff. I hate commod commodifying myself, but I, I have done it with every aspect of my life. You can buy merchandise that looks like my dog even. So without, uh, you know, there's, there's ways to do it. Check the description. But uh, let's jump in on time and time travel with Dr. Nick Effingham. <clears throat> Dr. Effingham, thanks, thank, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's excellent to be here. It's excellent to be here. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh, be, before we jump in on some of your the particulars of your work, I'm, I'm just curious, how did you get into philosophy in the first place? Um, so for me, it's, a, it's just a comedy of errors for me. So I wanted to go to university and do English and become an author and all of this kind of thing. I didn't even know what philosophy was back in, well, this, this would be in the 1990s, 1990s middle-class Britain, you, you didn't do philosophy. No one, yeah, I, I didn't mm. know people even really knew what philosophy was. Um, yeah. But I filled in the, the form, we had a form to go to university, it's called an UCAS form. And you filled it in and there's a number of slots uh, that you needed to fill up to go to university. So I filled up about three of them with my English courses uh, and my parents at the time insisted that all five or six were filled up. They were like, you can't have blank spaces. That's not allowed. So I, I sat yeah. down and I flipped. They had a big book of what courses you could do. And I flipped through. And uh, when I got to English and philosophy, I, I went, I actually remember, I went, I could be a philosopher. Didn't know what one was. Didn't know what one was. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never thinking I was going to do it. Never thinking I was going to do it because I, I, I thought I was going to do yeah. straight English. Um but by yeah. my exam results, you have what, what are called mock A-levels, and they determine which university you go to. Uh, and my mock mm. A-levels I did um, shortly during the time that I met my, my first 16-year-old girlfriend. And, you know, that I didn't advise for exams. None of that happened. Um, yeah. It was just the, the normal tale of adolescent getting carried away. So I, I didn't get onto the straight English courses. I got onto the English and philosophy course. Uh, turns out I hate English, just all of it. Uh, degree level in it, just can't stand any of it. Loved, loved philosophy, and I went into philosophy, and there we go. Oh wow! Okay, that's awesome. Well, okay, so then, even in philosophy, you you're like a specialist in time and time travel. Yeah. How'd that come about? Um, 
Jordan, my time as a PhD student, my PhD was in ontology and the ontology of physical objects. And I'm still very much interested in ontology. I'm still very much interested in these things. But I did also have an interest in time travel. And I can't remember exactly why. One or two things came up at the same time when I was in the University of Leeds. And I said, hey, guys, we could do a leading group on the philosophy of time travel. Um, and this, because I quite like time travel. I'd always been into sci-fi and Doctor Who and I love yeah. reading popular science books on how to make time machines out of wormholes. Um, so it just seemed natural to do a leading group on it. And then the leading group with Jonathan Robson led to my first publication. Uh, and that was on time travel. That was 2007. And once you've started the ball rolling and you've had a bit of time travel, you just end up doing more and more and more. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, I, I thought maybe we could we could broach the topic of time and time travel with a, a really simple question. Just uh, what what is time? What is super time? simple, super e super easy. Super easy. Yeah. So it, it's a difficult question now because you could mean so many different things. So right. um, time is time is a dimension like space that orders what goes on in it. So you've got spatial orderings. I can drop lots of objects into different spaces and you've got things from left to right of one another. That's the ordering. Time is like that. You can scatter objects throughout time and some things are earlier than some things and later than some things. So that that might be what time is. But usually when people are asking that question, I don't think that's the kind of thing they've got in mind. Um, yeah. But pinning down exactly what someone has in mind when asking questions like that, that's part and parcel of figuring out, you know, what, what kinds of questions you're looking at in the philosophy of time. Right. So, so, um, in getting into like the ontology of time and stuff, would, um, would a presentist say that time is, uh, a dimension or do they say, would they have to say like, no, time is just a, something that we do when we like, you know, uh, measure the movement of things or something. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I mean, if you, if you ask me, so the presentists, they believe that only the present moment exists. And yet, nevertheless, I think mm -hmm. they probably should still think that time is adequately described as being a dimension. So okay. even though these other things don't exist, it still makes sense to to uh, imagine that things could be stuck in that dimension. How to, how to think of it. Imagine you didn't believe in numbers. Imagine you didn't believe yeah. in numbers. It would nevertheless make sense for you to talk about uh, the number two being smaller than the number four. There are no such things as numbers, you would say, but you right. can still think they stand in these relations, in these orderings. And I think even if you're a presentist, you should think that these events, remember, there are no non-present events, but these events that don't exist, right. they still stand in this ordering in some sense. There might be a okay. deeper metaphysical explanation of what's going on um, when it comes to philosophy of time that has nothing to do with that. 
But that again goes to this question of when you ask what is time, I'm not entirely sure there's that we're exactly sure what that question means. And not in an interest, like, right? Not in a, not in a, there's no philosophical question about what that question means. There's just mm-hmm. lots of different questions that I find some people think tallies with the uh, the question what is time. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so. Uh, my audience will be familiar with this, but it might be worth just a, a quick like overview of uh, like presentism, eternalism, or or four dimensionalism, uh, moving spotlight, growing block, and wave. Can well actually your wave is the one I really want to dive in with you. So can you just help us out with like presentism, eternalism, moving spot, and growing block? Sure, it's it's probably easiest to start with eternalism. So the, the, this entire debate, yeah. um, and some people as as I'm about to get stuck into it. As with many things in metaphysics, some people think this entire debate is a load of nonsense. Like, just none of it makes any sense. We're just making right. terms. And I'm comfortable with that being an issue. So that is an issue, and we do need to say something about that. And I, I do think the, set, the, the debate does make sense. But, you know, be aware, some people think it's just nonsense. Um, right. So the best way to start getting your head around this debate, this debate in what we might call temporal ontology, the, the questions about what exists in the past and what exists in the future um, is to discuss eternalism. So eternalists, they think that time is a lot like space. So like here, like now, I'm in Birmingham, uh, UK, but it makes sense for me to say that the Eiffel Tower exists. Right? The Eiffel Tower, it's in France. It's in France. It doesn't exist here. It doesn't exist here. It doesn't exist in Birmingham, UK. It exists in Paris, Europe. The eternalist thinks time is a lot like space in that in that respect. The outposts on Mars that we'll eventually build in 2700 AD, they exist. They just don't exist now. Yeah. Napoleon Bonaparte, he still exists. He's still invading Russia. He just isn't doing it now. He's doing it back in the past. He's doing it separated. So they think that temporal separation is just like spatial separation. The things still exist, they're still there. They just aren't local. They're not spatio-temporally local. They don't exist now. So that's how the eternalist sees the world. The world, if, if God was looking at the world, God would see all of the four-dimensional uh, reality before him. God could see the dinosaurs and see the outposts on Mars um, all at the same time from his external point of view. The presentist, they differ. They either think this debate makes no sense uh, and therefore, the only things that exist presently exist. Or they think the debate makes sense. The question's a good one. But the answer is that only the presently existing things exist. So you've got kind of two types mm-hmm. of presentists. One who rubbishes the debate. One who goes, no, no, this debate is very serious. Uh, but presentism's still true. So that's, that's okay. the presentist view. Napoleon doesn't exist in any sense. Uh, the outposts on Mars don't exist in any sense. They will exist. Napoleon did exist. But that's different from, from existing. So there are the two main views. There's a third view. Uh, well, there's a fourth view, which is my view, but there's a third main view as well, which has been often discussed, which is the growing block view. And that's the idea that things from the past and the present exist, but not the future. So the reality is this block that keeps going. As the present moment moves on, what exists gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's a growing block view. Yeah, so there are the three views. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um... So is, uh, well, I want to broach wave three, but I don't, maybe, maybe I should hold back, but, uh, is, is your, is wave theory a type of moving spotlight? 
So moving spotlight, so that this this goes into a different uh, into a different dimension of the debate. So we've got this question about what yeah. exists. This question about what yeah. exists. You got eternalism, presentism, going blonde. But there's another there's another question that isn't ontological. It doesn't it doesn't concern what exists. It concerns what the world is like. It, it is metaphysical, but it's not ontological. And and this is the idea that is is the world fundamentally tensed or is the world fundamentally tenseless? So if the world was fundamentally so we can imagine that when we're describing the world, some descriptions are more fundamental than other descriptions. So Nick Effingham yeah. exists, that's a good description, but Nick Effingham's that there are atoms arranged in a certain way, that seems to be a more fundamental description. And if that fundamental description is true, then that first thing is true. If you've got atoms arranged like this, you've got Nick Effingham. So Nick yeah. Effingham exists is true, but it's not fundamentally true. So the idea is that the, once you accept that some propositions, some statements, some claims are fundamentally true, we can ask whether it's fundamentally true that it's now 2022, that it was the case 205 years ago that Russia uh, was invaded by Napoleon. That it will be the case yeah. in 500 years' time that there's outposts on Mars. Those claims are definitely true. Who would deny them? No one. You'd have to be mad to think that it's not currently 2022. If a philosopher yeah. tells you that's not true, that philosopher needs to, to sit down and have a break. But yeah. there's a question about whether it's fundamentally true. So the tense theory yeah. say it's fundamentally true. These tense facts, it, it was, was tense fact the case that Napoleon invaded Russia. That's fundamentally true. Mm. Yeah. The tenseless theory says that this isn't the case. Uh, the tenseless theorist, who is always an eternalist, who is always an eternalist, the tenseless theorist says, look, God makes the world and there's no tense facts. If you phone up God and go, hey, God, you know, is it February <laughs> 2022? God will be like, no, 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 that question makes no sense. You may as well phone me up going, is, is Birmingham here or is, is, um, is Paris here? And God will be like, well, where are you? Like, here's where, that depends on where you are. This isn't a fundamental yeah. question that God answers. Uh, that's a derivative fact. You find out uh, where, you, where, where here is, is a derivative fact based upon your location, the location of where you're there. So the tenseless theorists, okay. they agree that it's now 2022. They agree that, it, that Napoleon did invade Russia 200 years ago. But they say that those statements are true in virtue of non-tensed facts, non-tensed facts, yeah. namely facts like um, Napoleon exists, Nick Effingham exists, uh, Napoleon invading Russia is 202 years earlier than. So that's a temporal statement, earlier than, but it's not tensed. Was yeah. is tensed, earlier than is tenseless. Um, and it's those facts that mean that it, it was the case that Napoleon uh, invaded Russia. Um, so that's the difference between tense and tense plus. What yeah. you've got that, so we've got two dimensions of debate. We've got we've got what exists and what's the world fundamentally like. You yeah, can mix and good. match them. You can mix and match them. You can't mix and okay. match tenseless theory with anything other than eternalism. I mean there'll be some philosophers, there's philosophers out there who believe you can. Philosophers believe crazy things. <laughs> that's right. Like you can't. Like they're long. Okay. They're long. So yeah. 
One of the options is tenseless eternalism. There's no tenseless presentism. There's no tenseless going block. Because if presentism was true, there would be a fundamental fact about what was now. You'd sort of look around you and go, right. these things are now. Um, if you're a presentist, you're a tense theorist. If you're a going block theorist, you're a tense theorist. But there is one crossover. Okay. You could be an eternalist, like the tenseless theorist, you could be an eternalist. You could think that all of these things exist, that Napoleon exists, the outpost on Mars exists, that I exist. But you could be a tense theorist. There's still mm -hmm. like an, an extra ingredient that God has to sprinkle into reality. So God makes the eternal four-dimensional block. But God has to sprinkle in the one of the times is special. The one of the times yeah. is, is different, fundamentally so. The one of the times is present. So that's that's moving spotlight. That's moving spotlight. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's become quite popular. I, 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 Scow, Lost Cameron, they, they think it's got some legs. Yeah. So I, I really like, I really like growing, or I really like moving spotlight because um, it's, it, you can just point to like YouTube. So some people will be watching this on YouTube and you can look at the whole timeline of this video, but you also see the little counter going where we're talking right now, where they're listening and you could, you could move it back and you can move it forward, yeah. but it's, it, they're not all playing at the same time. Cause that would be insane. Um, you wouldn't be able to understand anything, and it, yeah, yeah, um, reality is a lot like that on the moving spotlight thing. Yeah, but then the hard thing is like motivating, like why think that, and like, well, maybe because God's watching the YouTube video of of reality, and you're like, well, yeah, I don't know. That's so. How do how do people? I guess what do you think of of uh, moving spotlight, and are there like how would people motivate it? So. There's some good questions about what motivates these different theories. And actually, I'm starting to suspect that there's, there's quite a dearth of motivations for being a tense theorist and a dearth of motivations for being a tense theorist. So I think it's difficult okay. to decide which one you should be. Um, yeah. Traditionally, people have thought that we'd argue for eternalism. Eternalism pairs up with tense theory, so we're done. But it's become quite obvious now that that with moving spotlight theory and other theories which are similar, like my, my own theory, wave theory, there's tense theories that seem to have like this eternalist flavor. Um, mm. So the, the I, I can give you good arguments for being an eternalist. Can I give you good arguments for being a tense theorist or tense theorist? Gets a bit tricky. Gets a bit tricky. Mm. Usually the argument is to do with experience. The idea is that, you know, don't you, don't you feel like this, this is the present moment? And isn't the only way to really explain that is that, that one of these moments is special, that you do live in the present moment. The tense theory is true. But I, I've never thought much of that argument. And if you read the literature, I, I don't... Having read the literature, I think the people who say this argument doesn't work, they, they sound right. They sound right. So I don't think we've got a good argument for tense theory. Then I don't think we've got a good argument for tenseless theory either. So, hmm. you know, what should we do? We should go off and do some research and see develop both theories, see where they lead. And hopefully that yeah. gives an indication of which one's true and which one's false. Right. Well, so then you come along and, um, and you give us wave theory. It's a new theory of temporal ontology. Yeah. Um, can you help? Okay. So, so maybe going back to the axis, right? Like, um, what, where, where is wave theory on, on, is it, it's a, it's a new theory of temporal ontology. Mm -hmm. Um, so this would be a, a competitor to like growing block and presentism and internalism. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a fourth, it's a fourth answer, a fourth answer 
Um, and it gets to be a fourth answer because you would have thought that I'd kind of exhausted all of the options. You've got the past, the future, and the present, and you just tick which one exists. You've got to say the present exists. Who would believe the present doesn't exist? If you think the past, present, and future exist, you're an eternalist. If you think the future doesn't exist and the past and present do, you're going block theorist. And there's that, there's a, there's a, uh, an extra theory called sinking block, which is that the future exists and the present exists, but not right. the past. But you know, who who genuinely believes that? No one genuinely believes that. <laughs> okay. Um, so you would have thought that exhausts all of the options, but I actually, I, I kind of think it doesn't. So wave theory plays on the idea that. Uh, plays on a dip. So I've to, what, what wave theory has done, it's taken two things in metaphysics and slapped them together. So it's taken a debate in temporal ontology, which we've just talked about, and it slaps it together with a debate that we haven't talked about, which is material constitution. Mm -hmm. So I'll just quickly say something about that. We won't get too in-depth into that because it'll pull us off the beaten path. Yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. It's a big thing in ontology is that there's this question about material constitution that if i have a lump of clay and i shape it into the form of a statue how many objects have i got and the intuition is that you've only got one object uh but the problem with that is that if you've got one object then then the lump of clay well that existed for a longer period of time than the statue the statue only came into existence when you shaped the lump of clay into a statue uh, so the statue and the lump of clay, they've, they've got different properties. The statue's existed since midday. The lump of clay has existed for weeks. Um, and if they've got different properties, they can't be the same thing. Right. So you've got at least two things. And this is, this is the basis of a lot of, a lot of ink is being spilt on this question. Mm -hmm. One of the popular answers, not, I'm not saying it's the only answer, but one of the popular answers is that the lump of clay is distinct from the statue. There are two different things there. It's just that the lump of clay constitutes constitutes the statue. Once you see that some objects can constitute other objects, this problem becomes a whole lot less weird. Yeah. Okay, so that's a, a different debate, and I'm going to I'm going to smoosh you with the temple ontology debate. Okay. So imagine you've got just like the eternalist says, you go, what exists? And the eternalist says, well, there's all these four dimensional hunks of matter, and what's Nick Effingham? Nick Effingham is one of those four dimensional hunks of matter. He's this one, he's this one. And Napoleon, Napoleon's this one. The outposts on Mars are these four dimensional hunks over here. So the wave there says, I like the sound of these hunks. I like the sound of these hunks. I believe in them, I believe in them. So like the Eternalists, they believe that there's these four dimensional hunks of matter back in the past and in the future right now. But they deny that the hunks are the everyday objects. So mm -hmm. the Eternalists said that hunk is Napoleon. That hunk is Nick Effingham. The way this says, no, 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 Nick Effingham is not a hunk of four-dimensional matter. No, Nick Effingham is is constituted by a slice of that hunk. Yeah. When when a bit becomes present, so it's going to be a tense theory. It's going to be a tense theory. When a slice becomes present, when like God's attention shines down upon it, yeah. The illuminated chunk of that hunk constitutes Nick Effingham in exactly the same way that the lump of clay constitutes a statue. So you've got hunks constituting Nick Effingham, hunks that used to constitute Napoleon. You've got lumps of clay constituting statues. It's meant to be an analog. It's meant to be an analog. Yeah. So it sounds very eternalist, but it's not eternalism because eternalism says 
that things from the past, present and future all exist. And we go, well, that means Napoleon exists. And on wave theory, no, Napoleon doesn't exist. He used to exist. And there's a hunk. It's Napoleon shaped. Right? It's, it looks a lot like Napoleon, but the yeah. lump of clay looks a lot like a statue, but it isn't a statue. The lump of the hunk of four-dimensional matter looks a lot like Napoleon, but it's not Napoleon. It's not Napoleon. It used to constitute it. Doesn't anymore. Doesn't anymore. Mm -hmm. So Napoleon doesn't exist. So eternalism is technically false. Technically. Okay. Okay. Um, so Napoleon doesn't exist um, because we're saying that uh, you know Napoleon is constituted by like a a, a temporal time slice. Yeah. Uh, matter in in a temporal time slice, and so like you know he he doesn't exist. But then you say, well, um, he doesn't exist today because there is no temporal slice uh, that that is constituting Napoleon today. But um, is the past still actual in a sense? Like, is is he still right. doing his thing? No. So the past is still actual, but Napoleon is no longer in it. The hunk is. Okay. It's almost as if God has decided. There are no statues anymore. And you go, what? And he's left behind the lump of clay, but he's removed the statue. Yeah. Um, which we could imagine. We might think that for a lump of clay to be a statue, we might think that depends upon us. You need, you need people like you and me to appreciate it and to think about it. And yeah. actually, in a world where there are no humans to, to think about and make statues, there would be no statues. There would just be lumps of clay. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit well, like that. Well, so if if God said um, there's no more uh, statues in the past, um, it seems like the form of the statue would would like leave the clay, right? Like, so you wouldn't have Goliath anymore. It would just it would like morph down into whatever, right? Like, w wouldn't that be the case? Or could we say like, no, that could could the just the mere act of of God saying there are no statues mean there's no statues, or wouldn't something have to change in reality? Well, I guess I guess we don't want to take the God metaphor too literally. You know, sure, can God sure. declare that there's no statues? Presumably not, unless you yeah. think God can do the metaphysically impossible. Sure, sure. Um, so let's try a different example. Yeah. Let's try comparing. Let's say that that you've got a constitution theorist who believes the following plausible. I'm not saying it's definitely true, but plausible belief for something for a lump of clay to be a statue, it's got to be shaped in a certain way. Uh -huh. It's got to have a certain arrangement. But it's also got to be the case that there was an, uh, a sculptor who made it that way. Yeah. So if natural forces somehow blew against a cliff and just by chance right. made a, 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 a chunk of stone look exactly like Michelangelo's David, that would not be a statue. That would not, be a uh, weird lump of, of stone, but it wouldn't be a statue. Yeah. So it's a bit like that. You've got these hunks got these hunks and you what does it take for this hunk to be a statue it's nothing to do intrinsically with the hunk yeah don't think about the material makeup of the hunk it required something to go on elsewhere in this case michelangelo carving it mm -hmm. so in my theory you've got these hunks the you've got these four-dimensional hunks of napoleon but it takes more than that to have napoleon you need you need something else this time it isn't a sculptor this time it's it's presentness it's the metaphysical property of presentness it's the yeah. quality of the present moment yeah yeah so that's that's what I was, I was trying to get at with the the um the god and statues i understand that that that, that can be uh, uh we can get us down in the weeds or something but so if if napoleon is continually 
okay, it's not Napoleon technically because on this view, Napoleon would only exist if he exists in this present moment, if if he's constituted in this time slice, and he's not. So there is no Napoleon anymore. But like the the past does still exist, and um, Napoleon has uh, existence simpliciter maybe even if he doesn't have present existence. Oh no! So Napoleon has ceased to exist simpliciter. He used to exist. Okay. He okay, but there, there, there's a temporal part that is doing the things that Napoleon had once done currently. Well, that not has current. the properties he once had. Yes, yeah, yeah that would okay. be true. Okay, be true. is is there is there still something that it's like for Napoleon? Uh, I'm, I, it's so hard to talk about Napoleon as if he's not Napoleon. That the temporal parts of Napoleon back in the past, is there still like qualitative experience going on? No. Um, so this this harks back to a, an objection we get for moving spotlight theory and going block theory. Yeah. So uh, this is one of the this is kind of where wave theory comes from. I was like, how could you you know? Okay. How could you solve these things? Um, so if those theories going block theory and moving spotlight theory, some people have said, well, look, you've got a problem. You say that back in the past Napoleon exists. Going block theory says yes. Moving spotlight theory says yes. So imagine Napoleon is saying it is it is the present moment. Uh, is he doing that? And you go, yes, he is. Yes, he is. But he's wrong, yeah. right? Because he's in the past, right? And there seems to be something very weird about that. Because as soon as you admit that Napoleon can be wrong about being present, well, <laughs> maybe we're wrong about being present. And I mean, this now this is madness. Like you shouldn't, like, yeah. and, you should and we will be wrong that. in the future. Yeah, yeah. And we're like we will be wrong. Yeah, right, right. In fact, you're gonna be you're gonna be right for a split second, and then you're gonna <laughs> be wrong. For the rest of eternity. That's right. So yeah. you're almost certainly wrong. You're going to be wrong more times than you like. Yeah, right. So that's called the dead past objection or the past okay. thinkers objection. And it's a big problem. It's a big problem. And lots of ink has been spilt on that. Wave theory gets around it by saying, well, Napoleon doesn't exist. And then you're coming back with a very reasonable uh, objection saying, well, hang on. Doesn't he have an, uh, his, his temple part still exist? And I'm like, yes, actually, technically it does. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that think? And I go, well, no, no. Because think about it in terms of constitution theory. So the constitution theorist will say that you've got, uh, let's do it with the statue first, and then that, let's do it for people. So you have a lump of clay that's statue-shaped, and you've got the statue. But they've got different properties. So one of them can survive being crushed, the lump of clay, but not the statue. One of them is aesthetically pleasing, the statue, but not the lump of clay. Yeah. One of them is a statue, the statue, not the lump yeah. of clay. One of them is a lump, the lump of clay, not the statue. This also works for people. So constitution theorists tend to think that people are examples of constituted, constituted objects as well. So you have a, a lump of organic flesh here, Nick Effingham. Uh, sorry, not Nick Effingham. You've got a lump of organic flesh sat where I am, and it constitutes Nick Effingham. Mm-hmm. So you've got lumps of clay constituting statues. You've got lumps of flesh constituting people like me. And we've got different properties. So I can't survive being crushed, but my body can. I can't survive my heart stopping, but my body can because it will just become a corpse. It's not so bad for my body for its heart to stop. It kind of hangs down for a lot longer. The the maggots have to get at it to get into my body. But Nick Effingham, he's he's gone at that point. And they most definitely want to say that the mental properties, the conscious properties, they are only had by the constituted object. Yeah. If you if you prick me, 
only Nick Effingham is in pain, even if it's his body who bleeds. Like, because mm-hmm. oh, if you, if that wasn't the case, they'd have a problem. Uh, they'd have to say that there were like two thinkers here. Yeah, I was going to, uh, yeah. If you punch Nick Effingham in the face, you've hurt two people. You've hurt Nick <laughs> Effingham and you've hurt his body. His body's in pain as well. What, what did his body ever do to you? Um, <laughs> right. So constitution theorists tend to say that mental properties only belong to constituted things. So when we go back to wave theory, you have got a temporal part. It, it, does, it does have the property of neurons firing. It does have the properties of um, all the different substances in my brain moving in a way which should lead to consciousness, but it's not a person. So mm. it doesn't get to conscious. Consciousness belongs to the people that it constitutes, which it no longer does, which it no longer does. So, so, um, so Nick Effingham of uh, like 10 minutes ago is, is there is no, uh, the temple parts that used to constitute you. Um, is, is that Nick, is that temporal part of you from 10 minutes ago, uh, like a philosophical zombie then? Like it's, there's no quality going? I think it's a bit like a philosophical zombie, but only if you want to call my body a philosophical zombie saying that I'm not. So only if in normal constitution case, you want to make oh, the same okay. kind of difference. Um, okay. Could you call it a philosophical zombie? You could. I don't think it'd be, I don't think it'd be felicitous. I think you'd be misleading someone. If someone wanted a good example of a philosophical zombie, I don't think you should say, well, your body. And you're like, sure. Well, what? Um, yeah. I think you'd have misled them. Okay. Um, yeah, that's my, my, my dualist, uh, intuitions are, are running amok right now. Um, so that might be the problem. Um, yeah, this is, this is so fascinating. Um, what is this theory committed to, um, like ontological pluralism? Are there different ways to exist? Um, no, I don't, I don't, I, I think you could be a standard quine. I, I certainly I'm a standard quine. Um, I, I do see some attractions of ontological pluralism, uh, but no, I would have thought maybe you want to be an ontological pluralist about constituted entities. If you do, you should be so here. Uh, okay. If you don't, you should not be so here. Um, I'm not that sure ontological pluralism helps with constitution. So okay. I think you should only be a pluralist about some things if it looks like it'll help you to be a pluralist about those things. Okay. Yeah, I, I picked up in, in one of your papers... Um, <laughs> this distinction between, you know, like present existence and existence simpliciter. And I was, I was wondering if maybe that was doing some work there, but I, I guess because you're saying you're, you're um, because the constitution view and the temporal slice right now, the present temporal slice, that's what's doing the work. So it's not like Napoleon exists in a, in several different ways. It's like, no, he just, he just doesn't exist anymore because he's not occupying the current temporal yeah. slice. Yeah. That's okay. Like... Um, how about, so, I really like, like I said, I like um, a moving spotlight, um, but but it's it's hard for me to like see a motivation for for this temporal moment moving. And again, I, I like wave theory. What what is the temporal like moment? What is that that specially um, like attributing identity to you right now? But then it passes away as this moment moves. Like what what is that present moment that's moving? So it sounds like, yeah, so I guess there's two questions there. So I think the, the one, the other one is what makes, what makes this instance of time special, metaphysically special? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I don't right. think there is an answer to that. I don't, I, I think you could, you could have theories to try to answer that. Um, okay. But I, I don't think I'll be attracted to that. I think okay. if you're going to be, because remember, if you're a tense theorist, you're a tense theorist, you're saying that it's a fundamental fact 
these tense facts are fundamental. And that sounds not the same as, but very similar to the idea that it's just primitive, it's just inexplicable right. what makes the present moment present. Um, so I suspect that there's nothing to that. Uh, so that it's a moment is present, but there's nothing that explains why it's present. It just that it's built into your enterprise that that's just a fact. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, this this brings us perfectly into like time travel stuff. Uh, I, I think so, at least. Uh, or maybe I'll just try and shoehorn it in. But um, could I go back and visit Napoleon? Yeah. Right. Like, and would it actually be him, or would it be his temporal part? That's on not wave on wave theory. Um, yeah. If you're a wave theorist melding it with time travel. I would probably melt. It depends what theory of time travel you time travel you've got. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, but your standard David Lewis style time travel is that nothing ever changes. Right. So what you're describing is that in reality, God sort of watched billions of years of history, and then when he gets to Napoleon, a Nick Effingham time slice steps out of a time machine, and they now have a conversation together. And then it goes forwards, and God's like, "Where's that guy come from?" And obviously, you know, like, maybe an angel's like, "Who's that guy?" Right, and then right. God's like, "Can't you see? There's a block. There's there's a hunk that's Nick Effingham shaped later that's going to cause that thing to arrive in the past." But yeah, so I don't think there's any particular problem thrown up by time travel on wave theory. No more so than for any tense theory. So ten, tense theories and time travel. Some people think there's problems there. I don't. I don't. I think. Tell me a theory of time travel. I'll tell you how it's meant to work with tense theory. Okay. So on the standard uh, Lewis view, um, you're, are you, mo- so I, I understand like you can't change the past on, on Lewis's view. You, you already would have visited him and stuff like that. So you're this Nick Effingham time slice. It, uh, when it comes to wave theory is tough because it seems like Nick Effingham exists in the present time slice and mm-hmm. the chunk, the temporal part over, is Nick Effingham in that time slice. But if you step out of that time slice to go back to talk to Napoleon, do you cease to be Nick Effingham? Because um, you're you're not in the present moment anymore. I, I will cease to exist, yeah. No, I'll, I'll oh. cease to exist. And then okay. if you're a tensist, I think that's something you have to buy into, that if you step okay. into a time machine and never come back, uh, you'll never again exist. But that sounds like, like I mean, if I... Even the tenseless eternalist will say that that's true. If I get into a time machine and go back and you go, uh, will Nick Effingham exist? Uh, you know, is this the end for him? And you, they'll go, well, yeah, you know, like that's that's that that's all she wrote according to the universe. Yeah. Admittedly, um, I will have had by stepping into the time machine, I will have had more time in the past. Right. Yeah. So, so, um, so you step back in the past and you come back five minutes later. So not at the same moment yeah. for, uh, for those five minutes, would it be right to say that you don't exist? That would be exactly correct on wave theory. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't exist in any sense. Okay. But, but if we're looking at like from God's perspective, it's like, no, I, he does exist. I, I see him. He's moving there, but it's like, but no, because no, technically you don't, it's your time. No, God's perspective 200 years ago, he remembers seeing a Nick Effingham up and chat with Napoleon. Once I step into time machine, time machine this time, God won't see me. He saw me 200 years ago. Yeah. So he won't see me now. He, his, his eyesight, God's like eyes don't follow me back. 
Oh, Bob's gotcha. Just, the moving spotlight is moving along the block. God's eyes yeah. are moving along the block. He's so already he seen you. He only sees me appear once. Yeah. Back in the past. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. That's really good. Um, yeah, that's really good. I think maybe with the, like the four dimensionalist view, just a straight up uh, uh, etern uh, eternalism view. On that view, it's like God's always God's looking at the whole timeline, and He would see you pop in and out of different times. Yes, yeah. So it's the same thing. Well, on the so which view was that? So just like straight straight up like eternalism. It seems like maybe I'm getting it wrong, but it seems like God's like looking at the timeline. Yeah, and He's outside so of it. View, yeah. God, God is like yes, I can see Him there. I can see Him okay. there, and there okay. is no question of you know where's God's vision trailing along because that. That's the tense moving spotlight right. view on right. the tenseless eternalist view, the block theory, the non-moving spotlight eternalist. He just sees a whole lot, and he's like, "Yep, yeah, Nick's there, and he's there, and he's stepping into time machine." There, all makes sense, says God. It all hangs together. Okay, okay, um, yeah, okay. I want to talk about um, exterminus hypertime for for yeah. um, be being able to change the past. <laughs> um, and I, I just think the reason that I think we can uh, connect it here is because it seems like on a, a eternalist view, if you're going in back in time, um, you, you probably can't change the future. So because it's it's already like happening. Right. But um, it seems like there has to be like a metaphysical time or another type of time, like God's time that he's watching. It, it doesn't seem like there can be no time. Otherwise, I don't know how you could. Um, so that that makes me think of of uh you know this exterminous hyper temporal view where there's multiple at least two different types of time is that is yeah that, can, can you help us with that that's right yeah so so in time travel you've got you've got basically two families of theories you've got if you went back in time you could change the past mm -hmm. and if you go back in time you can't change the past so david lewis does you go back in time you just can't change the past yeah. then there's a the question of well what about theories that say i could what what would the world have to be like in order for me to be able to change the path. Mm -hmm. So then there's a proliferation of different theories. So some of them say you can go back in time. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners will be sitting there going, yes, I know what he's about to say. You go back in time and you end up in a different universe. You make right. a different universe. And it's in that universe that you kill your grandfather or what have you and change the path. Um, along similar lines, people have this other idea that there's, there's different dimensions of time so we've got normal time and then we've got hyper time and that will somehow play a role in in explaining how the past changes and i think what i call exterminous hyper time is the most natural way it's not the way that most philosophers have gone for actually so i okay. think i think it's it's the most natural way of understanding this picture but not the one that people opted for yeah and on this view time just straightforwardly has two dimensions Mm -hmm. So space, space has got three dimensions, up, down, forwards, backwards, left, right. On the two-dimensional view of, of time, time's got two dimensions. It's got the normal one you're acquainted with, earlier than and later than, but you can go, in a, you can go along this axis as well if you want, uh, and that's hyper-earlier and hyper-later. Yeah. And what happens when time travel is you move forwards in hyper-time to a universe that is exactly identical up until that point, and then you start messing things around in that hypertime. Yeah. So if now is hypertime one, so it's time, it's it's the year 2022 in time, but it's hypertime one. 
I'd use my time machine to go back to 1930 to kill Hitler. Mm -hmm. And I'd arrive at Hyper Time 2. And at Hyper Time 2, I kill Hitler, and the future's totally different. And it's all lovely and swimming. I know that it won't be because that's what all the time travel movies tell us. If you change right. time, but let's imagine it goes swimmingly and it's a wonderful utopia. And there's no contradiction because all you've done is like Hitler's alive here and dead there. And I mean, that's not so weird, is it? You know? Right. Right. Uh, Hitler's alive in 1930 and dead in 2022. So it's exactly the same thing, except now he's alive in 1930 at hyper time one and dead in 1930 at hyper time two. Uh, and that's a, a model of time travel whereby we could we could change the past. Um, so someone might quibble and say, well, you're not technically
I, I still don't want to take my hand off this stove, Nick. You know, right. this right. if that isn't changed, that's fine. But it's changed good enough for me. It's it's hmm. it, it when we in English, when in natural language we talk about change, it counts as change, even if you haven't changed the LT by moving your hand. You're yeah. still in pain at time T2. So it's the same thing on hyper time. So I go back and kill Hitler, and someone says, Well, you've not really changed the past. I go, Well, like I've changed it as much as taking my hand off the stove changed me from being a pain to not. I, I think that's a I think that's a kind of change. I think that's the kind of change we're looking for. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Well well, so I think about like the the ethics of um someone one of my guests brought this up to me and I can't remember who, but maybe like the ethics of like exercise now because if i right now i i can go exercise really hard and i think this is horrible i hate this i feel like i'm gonna die but it's gonna be worth it in the future but if this theory is well if certain theories of uh the ontology of time are true then like i'm committing a time slice of me even though it wouldn't be me on, on your view i'm committing a time slice a temporal part to like eternal agony of working out and it's like, yeah. dude, what a dang it! That's some there is there is qualia there, right? There is that the, that pain state of that person, but it's not a person. There's something there experiencing that pain forever, right? It gets called a personite in the literature. Personite, so those, okay. Those temple parts of you that seem to be people, if not for the fact that they were parts of you. If only right. you know, if only you died at the end of the exercise, it would have been a person. But yeah. fortunately, you didn't. <laughs> That's good for you. Right, uh, but that means that it's not a person. But it, yeah, it, people people believe that nevertheless it still gets to be conscious and have beliefs and desires and it suffers. So you're just making the poor personite suffer, and it gets nothing. You get you get yeah. you get the chiseled body. <laughs> that's right, and it gets nothing. Right, so well, that's just just, just um, fat and sad in the past. Yeah, yeah, and of course it never realizes it. On the upside, it never discovers. It thinks it's going to get the chiseled body. Okay, it, it's just, all right. It's just very sad for it. Um, this is a problem. This is a problem in the literature. I don't know what to say about these. Personites, I don't know what to say about personites. Um, yeah. I think they're a big problem. I'm really interested in the personite debate, and I'm yet to see a decent answer to the personite okay. uh, debate that does it for me. Presumably there is one, because we don't want to actually accept that I shouldn't go and get my tooth fixed, or that I shouldn't exercise, <laughs> or right. that I shouldn't go to work, because it's... It's dull for me, but I get money. Whereas my personite is like a slave who suffers. Have you ever seen the uh, the show Severance? On Se it? Severance, amazing show. Yeah. I, I I whenever I think about when I when I was watching, it, I was sitting there going, "This is personite. This is exactly exactly what a personite is." Yeah, it's so good. Well, and I and I, there so there's like the question of what you owe yourself, I guess, or whatever. And and maybe you could say like, yeah. I'm I even if I accept this I'm okay with my this personite right here I'm I'm me I'm I'm this this will be a personite and yeah at least he gets to like feel good that he is helping me even though he doesn't he is helping the other personites that will you know slough off or or be part of that yeah. causal chain or something but I wonder about like the the um the moral status of a personite whether they they are full um cuz they're not persons so maybe they don't have the full but maybe we say like, yeah, the person I um, enjoys the same level of moral status that a person does. Does that sound right? I think that's ultimately the conclusion we want to reach is that for some right. reason, the personite does not have the moral status of a person. Okay. Um, and so we need to be taken into, into account. Absolutely. That's where we want to end up. But 
the, the philosophical question is, well, well, why? What is it about them? What is it about them? And when we say that it simply is lacking the feature of being a person, that sounds a bit worrying. It sounds like there should be there should be more to moral status than a mere social term. So as a person yeah. that is just a social term, there should be something about you. Uh, like your, you know, we, we might think, imagine you eat meat. Um, you might eat meat. I eat meat. I used to be a vegetarian yeah. for years. Now I'm not. Oh, wow. um, so you, you, people won't eat a cat. We'll, we'll think the way, maybe the cow suffers and feels pain, but they think that it doesn't count as a person so they can eat it. They should at least acknowledge that there's some pressure to explain what's going on there. Maybe we think that the, the cow's mental life isn't as sophisticated. Maybe we think cows don't have qualia. Maybe we think that cows don't have beliefs and desires, and beliefs and desires are important to uh, suffering. So that's, I, 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 I don't believe that a cow suffers by being killed uh, because it hasn't got any desires or beliefs that would lead it to suffer. And being killed. Huh. Not that that's got anything to do with why I eat meat nowadays, but that's a let's not get pulled into that. You don't want to talk to <laughs> that position about ethics, you know. Be like you're like inviting me on your show to go, this is how I fix your kitchen sink. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't I, I'm not an expert in that. I should keep the clock with time on yeah. So good. It's incumbent upon people who who eat meat, I think, to explain why it is they get to stick cows in sheds and laze them and then kill them. Because you can't do that to to Bob. Uh, and John and Jill, <laughs> yeah. right? So what's the difference? And people who do turn around and say, well, the difference is that, you know, we're humans and they're animals and sitting there going, well, that, that's that's not the difference. That can't be the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that, it seems prima facie implausible to me that a subtle difference could make a difference. Yeah, you know, right. I meet ET or we meet the Klingons and the Vulcans and I'm like, oh, I've always wanted to chow down on one of them. You'd be horrified. You'd be absolutely mortified. Right. And I'm sitting there going, oh, they're, they're not humans, though. Oh, yeah. no, they're not. You can't eat them. Yeah. Um, like, or, or, you know, I'm, you meet an angel and you're just like, well, we've, we've checked with our moral community. It's only humans, mate. Right. <laughs> these angels are running away going, stay away from these guys. They're lunatics. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's the same thing for personites. It can't be a mere subtle difference. It okay. can't be merely that they're persons, uh, not persons. It has to be, has to be something else. I mean, one, one thing, of course, is they just don't exist. So we try and figure out a way to not include them in our ontology. Yeah. Well, so I think about the the time travel case. If if I if I do go back and I'm like, well, um, I I guess technically I'm a personite because. Uh, uh, I'm not occupying the present temporal slice, but like neither are any of these other folks. So like I can just do whatever because they're they're personites. They're not persons, right? Yeah, I think it'd still be a bit. Turn out the person would stretch across hyper times. Um, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, uh, yeah, I want to jump back on that, but real quick, um, I wonder about saying uh, at least on like the wave theory. Can is it right to say that you? That that you used to eat meat, or would you? Or is that like a folk way of understanding it? And like, if you want to be technical, my person, I used to eat meat. Yeah, you could say you could talk. Yeah, but 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 you exist in this present moment. You're constitute like. How how do we speak about our former self? I guess with. Um, I think we just do that in the same way that the presentist would do it. So you just. You just talk about the facts that were the case. We've got these fun. There'll be something that tells us, because uh, I guess I don't think those past facts are fundamental. 
I think the derivative. Okay. But there's, there's facts like it was the case of Nick Effing make me. What makes it true for me? Well, what makes it true on my theory is that there's a hunk and it's got distant temporal parts, and one of those temporal parts is present and, and constitutes me. But one of those temporal parts is back in the past. Yeah. Um, but it's still got certain qualities. And those qualities are such that if if only it were present, it would constitute Nick Ephraim. Uh, and the Nick Ephraim it would constitute would be happy or sad or a vegetarian. Okay. Um, so what makes it true that it used to be the case in Nick Ephraim make meat are just facts about these hunks back in the past. Okay, that's chunks. good. Yeah, chunks. Uh, yeah, I say chunks. Um, so if I, uh, sorry. So going back on actually, to clarify, so I guess that is actually thinking about it now. That is different from what the presentist would say. I guess right. that's definitely different from what the presentist would say. I'm it, sticking with what I've just said. And uh, I think that it has more explanatory power, maybe. And, and I know presentists will be able to. Yeah. They have ways of describing their past selves, but in this one, there are still like, there are still truth makers uh, back there. But in a in, yes, a, in yeah. a presentist, there are none, so they have to say something else. That is that is one of the selling points of wave theory. So yeah, um, why should you? If you're pre- that's kind of the, the published paper I've currently got on this says that's the argument. It goes through the the tense theorist and says if you believe this tense theory, you should believe my tense theory instead. Yeah. So yeah. if you believe presentism, ah, it's got a truth making problem. Have you thought of being a wave theorist? Yeah. Um, if you're moving spotlight theorist or going box theorist, you've got this problem of dead past thinking and Napoleon thinking that he's present. We thought we thought of being a wave theorist. <laughs> so that, that's what the existing paper says about that. Yeah, um, I really like I'm that. hoping to add this. I'm writing a book on it, actually, on wave theory at the moment, and I'm, I'm hoping to add a bit more to the mix. Um, okay. But during the writing of that book, I'm starting to think that I don't know of any good argument to be a tensor theorist or tensor theorist. I can only sort of turn up and go, if you believe this theory, have you thought being a wave theorist? Yeah, that's really good. Um, uh, so so just briefly, uh, a couple minutes ago, you mentioned that uh, maybe the personhood follows the uh, follows the time traveler back through hypertime. So would, would that give, so if I went back in time um, and the, the personhood followed me, am I a person amongst personites? Uh, you're gonna have to run me through that one. You'll have to explain well, that again. So, yeah. so I, I, I leave, I leave 2022 and go back to kill Hitler in 1930. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would still, if there were personites in a normal case, there'd still be personites in this case. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would still be a person. It's just yes. that I'd kind of stretch across the hypertimes. Yeah. Does that sound right? That sounds like yeah. There'd still be okay. personites. Yeah. Okay. If, if you believe in personites in the normal case. Right. Right. So, so then we'd, we'd have to get, we'd have to know what to say about personites and whether they're, they have the moral status of persons. Cause if not, then maybe you could just run, you know, roughshod over everyone and it, they're less, maybe they'd still have some kind of status, I guess, but I, but I, think, these debates might be, I think these debates might be orthogonal to one another. So there are these questions about personites and the very pressing questions, right? but I don't think they combine so much with the time travel because in the same way that, so I'm going to go out this evening and meet some people. If I, if I sat there and thought to myself, maybe you're just mere person. <laughs> I just, you know, kind of taking the wallets and pushing them out of the way. And, like right. I could do that. I could do that. I shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, 
But the philosophical explanations why you shouldn't do that would apply even in the time travel cases. Oh, okay. Is early twisting or changing that debate in any way. Okay, that's good. That's good to know in case any time travelers are in our midst. Um, yes, yeah, you don't want them going. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what, what was that? I missed that one. Who knows what they might do to us? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so so going back to the the uh the hyper time view on uh exterminus uh you know hyper hyper temporal worlds we've got uh world one where hitler did everything he did we got world two where nick effingham went back and uh killed hitler Mm -hmm. um if let's say you know uh shoot let me think who would want to some neo-nazi wants to stop you from killing hitler um so he also travels to uh to to stop you from creating hypertime two, um, would that create a hypertime three, or would that just modify hypertime two? Okay, so this is where it starts to get a little bit tricky. So these these views where you go back in time, um, they do have this problem that if two time travelers leave the same universe or leave the same hypertime yeah. and travel back to different times, then what on earth happens? It's easy if they go to the same time. Yeah. So if the neo-Nazi leaves and tries to come back to exactly the same instance in 1930, I guess we both are alive and we, we duke it out yeah. movie style. But obviously in most movies, that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. What happens in most movies is one guy goes back and the one's like, I must go back and stop him. And they're alive a few minutes later. And that's a huge problem for these views. Okay. If it's universities... This is fine. Um, what we say is that they each alive in their own universe. Okay. So if I leave to 1930 to go and kill Hitler, and then the neo-Nazi leaves to 1929, the neo-Nazi ends up in a totally different universe than me, and I end up in a totally universe, and we'll miss one another. He'll be expecting to see me, but I'm not going to be there. I'm not <laughs> going to be there. He'll be like, well, hang on, what's, you know, why not? Where's, where's Nick Hathaway? He's like, nope. No, Nick Effingham in your universe, you've missed him. Um, And this actually caused, I did a paper 2012, um, and it turns out that this means that if you you go back in, say you've got a portal or wormhole, and you go through it over a period of time, well, that means that different bits of you are going to end up in different universes. Oh, yeah. Uh, So you'll, you'll be sliced. You'll be sliced. So... I'll be like, I'm going to go back in time now. No, I'm about to dice myself yeah. into an infinite number of slices spread across an infinite number of universes. Big problem, big problem. Yeah. But when I say it's a problem, I mean, we are discussing how the world would be if these theories were true. Right. So not so much a problem. It's just like, well, like, if that's how the world is, I guess that's what would happen. Don't, don't use a time machine under those circumstances. Right. It gets harder with hypertime. Because universes aren't ordered. So okay. I've explained how it work on universes. I've said, I know what would happen. I have mm-hmm. the answer. It goes badly for you. Nazi in the Disney universe and me. I get sliced into portions if I travel through a time door. But that's because universes aren't ordered. And because hypertimes are ordered, we get a huge problem. We get a huge problem. And it's difficult to see what to say about that. Mm-hmm. In the paper I've got on external hypertime, I do discuss a solution, which is that if 
over hyper, if it takes a length of time for time to change, we can all go to the next hyper time. So the neo-Nazi would end up at hyper time two, and I would end up at hyper time two. But not Hitler wouldn't die at hyper time two. It'd take a while in hyper time for Hitler to die in hyper time two, and it would take a while for the Nazi to change time. It's a lot, it's, I won't lie, it's a long, complicated story. <laughs> Which is actually why the paper exists, because I was lying, it was during COVID, I was watching a, a time travel movie, as I do, going, actually, because I've done this as a problem, so I posed it as a problem, and I was like, actually, maybe you could make this work. Maybe here's a solution. But the solution was long and interminable and complicated, and I was <laughs> like, how am I ever going to get this published? And then my friend said, I'm doing a time travel special issue. I was like, excellent. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I've had an idea for a paper. I mean, it's... It is of niche interest, shall we say. So it's a long, complicated story. If anyone's interested, they should, they should probably, unfortunately, have to leave the paper. I yeah. don't think, without a whiteboard and, and another half hour, I don't think I could explain it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know uh, I know several of my audience members are going to have to track that down. If if Taylor Sear is listening and he hasn't already checked that out, I'm sure he will. Uh, he, <laughs> loves, he loves that stuff. Um, so... Um, I don't know if, if, if it'd be worth broaching um, the, the problem of overdetermination for, for this view, um, you know, if there are hyper-causal connections between uh, yeah. time, hyper-times. Like, is it, is it we need it? these causal connections. I think on this view, you need there to be these causal connections. So the idea is that in, in our universe, in a, in a one-dimensional temporal universe, what goes on at the early instant causes the universe to be a certain way the next instant. So... Mm -hmm. Even if even if we stop doing anything, we just you know lay still. Our bodies would still cause it to be another time slice of Nick Effingham at the next instant. Yeah, and I think exactly the same thing goes on with hypertime, extremis hypertime. Okay. How the next slice is, uh, how how the next hypertime is, is caused by the earlier time. So eventually, if you stop time traveling, if you get to a if you get to a, a hypertime where no one time travels back in time, then all of the rest of the hyper times will be exact duplicates of that cause oh. to be that way in the same way that if, if this universe just throws in amber for eternity it would be the same way yeah so you're kind of freezing in amber but in hyper time you're making the rest of hyper time exactly the same way okay uh, so um, you need these, these hyper causal connections yeah is there a is there a fundamental um is there a fundamental hyper time that all the rest are based off of uh is it like a first hyper time yeah yeah maybe that's right yeah uh well maybe there is maybe there isn't so okay. this again would be like well what do you say in a normal one-dimensional time case so okay. in a normal world of one-dimensional time do you think there must be a first instant if so i guess it's going to be a first hyper instant uh, but many people go, no, there does not have to have been a first instant. Maybe time has just lasted forever and there's not a first way that time can be. Well, in that case, if that's true, well, then hyper time doesn't need a first instant. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm thinking of like, you know, William and Craig listening to this and, and coming up with a new Kalam cosmological argument for uh, yeah. for hyper times or something. I mean. It would work exactly the same way. If you're moved by the Kalam cosmological argument to believe that there's a first instance of time, you should believe there's a first instance of hyper time. I can't see right. why you why you have a disparity there. 
Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, yeah, but there's, there's that a problem of overdetermination, as you say. Um, yeah, what do you, what do you make of that? Is it just you know like so what? Like yeah, maybe it's kind of weird, but oh, you talked about it in the paper, and I I just yeah. don't know enough to. And it was a really good reply, but I can't so, do it myself. Let me let me the call. Sometimes I have to the call exactly what the argument is. So the idea is that overdetermination is only surprising when the laws of nature don't yeah. determine it. Right. So overdetermination that is caused by the laws of nature, that that can go on, that can yeah. go on. So in this particular situation I'm describing, it would be overdetermined. Why? Why is um, why is my grandfather as he is in 1930 at hypertime two? Well, it's partially because it is because of how he was in 1929 at hypertime two, but it's also because of how he was in 1930. At hypertime T1. So it does get overdetermined, but it's not a problem because the laws of nature are doing the overdetermining. It's okay if the laws of nature determine things to be that way. Yeah. Um, it, it, does that also incorporate or like necessitate or imply whatever um, backwards causation from the 1930 to the tw 1929? Uh, so it should always be forwards. Okay. Uh, if you're at a hypertime, if you remain in your hypertime, causation only ever goes forwards. Okay. And in hypertime, causation only ever goes forwards in that direction. Okay. Um, there's only backwards causation insofar as something at a later time at one hypertime can cause something in an earlier time at a late hyper later time. <laughs> this is so, so good. And that's yeah. not really a backwards cause. I, I wouldn't call that backwards causation. Okay. You cool. can develop models where you can go back in hyper time. Um, and I do talk about them in another paper. Okay. And that gets super weird. Why would you care about those models? It makes sense of certain time travel fictions. All of this for me is an exploration. Not all of this, not all of time travel, but the exterminous hyper time. Uh, the idea that time's got two dimensions. I mean, time does not have two dimensions. So <laughs> even if time is fit, time travel is physically possible. I am not describing to you how it works. Like, yeah. if you got a time machine and you could go back in time and kill Hitler, I would be very surprised. Yeah. Like, I would be, I would be dumbfounded. I'd be like, I guess that, I guess that's how the world could have been. I'm very yeah. surprised to discover that that's how the world is. Yeah. But I am interested in just what's possible um, and thinking, looking at time travel movies and looking at time travel TV and going, is that, is that possible? Is there any method? No matter how weird a world. Can I make a really weird world with like five dimensions of time mm. where this all makes sense? And sometimes yeah. I go, yes, yes, you can. I yeah. try and get a paper out of that. It's so good. Um, th that was the, the last question I wanted to ask you was, you know, you, you walked right into it here. Um, you, you mentioned in several papers, or maybe just one, you mentioned somewhere that, uh, look, the philosopher is talking about the possibilities going on. Uh, whereas like the physics, it's the physicist there. It's their job uh, to go and like, tell us whether this is physically possible in this world or something. So with that in mind, um, what do you make of it? Like, do you, do you think that time travel is possible for us to do? Uh, physically? Uh, yes, yes, physically. Um, yes, uh, no. Actually, let's... Mm. Up until... So, so, so this spurs on something that... Go, let me start again. My, yeah. my book, so the book I've written argues that if you've got a David Lewis view of time travel, mm -hmm. which I think I do. So okay. insofar as 
if I think time travel is physically possible, I imagine it would work in the Lewis style sense. Could be okay. long, could be long. Yeah. I'm not a physicist. Some physicists have written papers arguing that it works in a different way, and I'm not begrudging them. Uh, but if you ask me, I don't have me. Ask me to make a decision about physics. I guess I'd make this this decision. And if it works in a David Lewis way, then time travel is so weird you would struggle to get your head around it. But you can, you can. And the yeah. weird thing about it is, is that even if it was physically possible, you're still never going to do it. The the chance that you should award to it of happening is zero, mm-hmm. even if it's physically possible, even if it is in some sense very easy. So imagine that the laws of physics were such that mixing uh, some household goods <laughs> uh, that are readily available creates a magic potion that allows you to travel in time. Yeah, even, I, I think that world is logically possible. If you lived in that world, you should expect no one to do it. You should expect no one to do it. So if the physicist figured it out, you should expect anyone who tried to make the potion to die or fail to drink it or to go long. And, and so no one will ever time travel back. And that, that works even in our universe. So even if time travel is physically possible, um, I would expect it to never, ever take place. Is that the because ex- we... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The yeah. explanation of that is quite tricky. Um, so I don't know. I could go into that. I could go into explaining that and be quite happy to. But then it goes, feeds into your question was, do, you, do I think time travel is physically possible? is that I think it is more likely to be physically possible than the physicists currently believe. Because some of what the physicists do is an experiment or an expectation that the reality would be a certain way. So they, you know, why do they think time travel is not possible? They go, well, time travelers would come back and spoken to us. Um, They've conducted experiments to see if there's faster than light particles. And Mm -hmm. they've gone, we would expect to see these particles over here. And they've looked and they're not there. So this is all part of the case for physicists to think that time travel is not, in fact, possible. Whereas, if you're Nick Affingham, I go, no, no, the laws of physics might allow time travel. You should still not expect to see these things. Yeah. And that's weird. I guess I know I'm saying something weird because someone's like, if it's possible, why should you expect it never to happen? Are those two things the same? But those two things are not the same. Right. Something can be possible and for you to have a chance zero of it happening. They're, they're definitely compatible claims. Yeah. Um, can, yeah. I, can I can I ask you just, like, can can we flesh it out just a little bit? Like, why why oh, would we... Why, which which claim do you want? That something can have a chance of zero and be possible? Or the... No, not, not that one. That one's really fascinating, but I, I'm, like, stuck. Yeah, the the uh, the reason why we would expect it not to happen. So the first thing we need to go ahead around is that the, the weird thing that goes on in time travel cases where you can't change the past is the probability right. starts getting really funky. Okay. So imagine I, uh, I have, I'm in good health um, and I'm a great shot and I've gone back in time to shoot Hitler. Right. So I've got the gun pointing at Hitler and I'm about to pull the trigger and I go, should I do this? And you go, no, Nick, you, you shouldn't because you, we know you're going to fail for certain. You are not going to kill Hitler. So, Nick, you've got a problem. Is that whilst normally you only have a one in a hundred chance of having a heart attack, and you only have a one in a hundred chance of missing when you pull the trigger of your rifle, I know for certain 
that one of those two things is going to happen. So normally, if, if all those people you tried to murder in 2022, Nick, when you've been there watching me kill dictators normally, I've gone, is this a good idea? And you've gone, yeah, shoot the dictator. And I pull the trigger and they die and I don't miss and I don't have a heart attack because it's so unlikely because I'm in good health. I'm a good shot. But once I've gone back in time, once I'm back in time and I'm, I'm pointing a hiller, totally different ball game. You're going, Nick, we know for certain you're either going to miss or you're going to have a heart attack, which causes you to fail to pull the trigger. And the chance of those, let's stipulate, is exactly the same. So the chance of you having a heart attack if you try and pull that trigger is 50-50. So in a normal case, it's one in a hundred. That'd actually be a ridiculously high chance of a heart attack. But let's go with the numbers. Yeah. Um, in a normal case in 2022, it's one in a hundred. But now you're pointing your gun at Hitler, Nick. It's 50-50. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So these probabilities change because you're caught in a causal loop, because you're caught in a time loop, because you know Hitler did not die, because Hitler, because Hitler did not die, the probabilities change in the past. Yeah, and this 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 works even though we don't need some like weird physical particle. It's not that Hitler starts like exuding heart attack radiation that causes <laughs> yeah. you to have a heart attack. That's not what's going on. There's no right. physical mechanism. There's no mm -hmm. physical mechanism that causes it. So that's the take home message. In a time travel case, like David Lewis says, probability works early differently. And it works early differently without there being a physical mechanism to bring it about. It's all done yeah. by the David Lewis time travel model. And once you accept that, you see that this would apply even in even before I get into the time machine. So I'm about to step into the time machine. Um, and you go, well, actually, Nick, your chance of having a heart attack is going up right now because you're stepping into the time machine, intending to go back to kill Hitler. Something's yeah. going to stop you. It doesn't necessarily follow the thing that stops me is, is when I'm about to kill Hitler. What might stop me is stepping into time machine. Uh, it, what might stop me is something that goes on in 2022. Yeah. And it gets even weirder. Imagine I'm planning to build a time machine. And <laughs> if I build it, I'm definitely going to kill Hitler. Yeah. Well, I'm, 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 if, it's, if it's actually the case that I might succeed, my chance of a heart attack is going up. Mm-hmm. So imagine, or imagine this, imagine I'm going to have a grandchild or great, 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 a great, great grandchild. If only, you know, I, I managed to go down the aisle with uh, my fiance, then I'll have a heart, uh, then I'll eventually have a descendant who will make a time machine to go back in time and kill Hitler. Well, turns out my chance of having a heart attack has just gone up and you're like, I haven't done anything. It's like, no, you haven't done anything, but... When we when we do the numbers, it turns out your chance of a heart attack is, is gone. Yeah. Any amount of going back in time, I think, would bring about a paradox. So we go, could you go back in time and just try and avoid killing Hitler? And I go, that's not good enough. Because when you go back in time, your gravitational field will shift a particle from being here to being there. Mm -hmm. Which is, from the universe's point of view, just as much of a contradiction as Hitler being dead or alive. The universe will suffer no contradictions. The universe won't... Reality doesn't allow for Hitler to be both dead and alive in 1930. Right. Equally, it doesn't allow for a particle to be here as well as microscopically one, one micron to the line. And if I go back in time, I will disturb mm. reality 
and I'll start. So I will almost certainly, to a chance of almost one, I will almost certainly jostle the atoms in a way that is logically inconsistent. So as I'm about to go back into my time machine to have a quick peek in 1930 and do no harm, um, <laughs> I'm almost certainly going to have a heart attack. Yeah. And if you if you have like a a uh, if if the governments of the world funded a massive experiment to do time travel, it's almost certainly going to fail. Wow. Uh, so uh, in the in the Lewis style, um, I, I think you make a, this is a really compelling case. I'm thinking um, about uh, there was almost a nuclear holocaust in like the fifties. Um, but what if what if that didn't take place because someone in nineteen or in twenty twenty five went back in time and talked to the the leaders? Like it already would have happened. And so if if you're the time traveler and you're thinking like I think I have to go back and make sure that the nuclear holocaust doesn't happen. Um, that would be like a different case than like killing Hitler where, you know, Hitler didn't die in those times, but you're like trying to make sure that something that has already happened does happen. Right. So you're assuming you've already done it, right? Like maybe look, yeah, I have this as, soon as, you, as soon as you build in the assumption that you've already done it, yeah, you're going to get a different answer out on the probability. So, okay. Um, what's my chance of winning the lottery? Very, very, very low. Uh, what's the chance of me having the winning numbers assuming I win the lottery? Very, very high. But <laughs> when you build in the assumption, yeah. that would make a difference to the unconditional probability that we're genuinely interested in. So yeah. if you knew you were in a situation where the Holocaust was stopped in the 1950s by a time traveler, then absolutely expect some time travel to happen. But okay. obviously so. You you built it in. You, you built yeah. it into the assumption. You said, yeah. you know, assume time travel has happened. Should you expect yeah. time travel to happen? I'm like, well, well yeah, if I know. Um, yeah. And I, I do want to say that these things are possible. There's possible permutations of reality that lead to time travel. Okay. I just think they're so unlikely. Yeah. They're so unlikely. It's like a warning for anyone working on time travel right now. Watch. <laughs> well, my, my book, that is exactly what my book says. Don't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't work on time. We know you should not try and do a time travel experiment. And people yeah. have, and they haven't worked because they weren't very plausible. But, you know, you shouldn't even try because either it's going to fail, in which case you shouldn't have bothered, or, or you might succeed, in which case, like, very bad things might happen. Yeah, uh, that's that's amazing because it's so, it's, it, it seems to me, like, so rare for someone to say, like, even if we can do this, don't do not do it, you know? In, yeah, in yeah. our world, like, with the, in the AI conversations and stuff, it's like, well, no, it's a race. Like, we're, we're capitalists, so naturally it's going to happen. Like, well, maybe we just shouldn't, though. Maybe you just don't do that. Or maybe yeah, we should tell definitely. them to start working on time travel with their AI so that we can just get rid of all of them as they're, as they're doing well. Yeah. Might, might get rid of us. You know, there might be an asteroid on its way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's bad. Well, uh, Dr. Effingham, this has been awesome. And this is, you, you've expanded my mind. I'm going to have to chew on this some more. Um, you have so much other stuff too, like like the just on different topics like fission and, and Adam and original sin. I'd love to have you back on that. So, so maybe I can coax you into coming back on. Oh, some other this, is, this has been a blast. I'd love to, uh, yeah. to talk to you. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Great. Yeah. Well, um, so before I let you go here, is there anywhere that you'd want to point listeners to uh, if, if they want to get involved or they want to read more of your work or listen to you or something like that? So, so virtually all of my work is on my website, which is a Weebly. So just stick in Nick Effingham Weebly. Uh, just stick in Nick Effingham and it should pop up. Uh, I think m virtually all of my work is is publicly accessible. So if anyone wants to read it, 
They should be able to lead almost all of it other than the uh, one of death on time travel. Unfortunately, that's not um, uh, publicly accessible. Um, and I think that's it. I, there's there's links on my webpage to all kinds of talks of me talking about all kinds of different things. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, folks, that's going to have to do it for now. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.